We do like to talk about our products. We do like to talk about how big we are. But this was one time where it was really important to listen. Today on Top CMO, we're chatting with Luis Barber, who heads up global marketing for DHL Supply Chain. She's an expert marketer for the logistics industry, one of the industries most affected by the global pandemic. Creativity is viral. Great ideas packaged a certain way want to spread. They want to be told to someone else. Positioning, branding, execution. It needs to be simple, surprising, and significant. This is Top CMO with me, Ben Kaplan. This is the podcast where we go around the globe to interview marketing leaders from the world's biggest brands, fastest growing companies, and most disruptive startups. Today on Top CMO, we're chatting with Luis Barber of DHL Supply Chain. Hello, welcome, Luis Barber, who is Global Head of Marketing at DHL Supply Chain. Luis, welcome to the show. I think everyone calls you Lou. Is, is that That's all right, right if I call you Lou? Okay. Absolutely. Very good. And and your role is a super interesting one during the pandemic right now because you're a global head of marketing. That's a big job, for, certainly for a company like DHL Supply Chain to begin with, but also supply chains and thinking about that and thinking about how things move around the world You know, is a major issue right now, given everything that's happened in the pandemic. So, so first of all, are you sleeping at night? Uh, what are you, what are you staying up worrying about and, and, and what has been the nature of your role over kind of changing and, and your focus over the course of the pandemic? Well, firstly, thanks for having me, Ben. It's a real pleasure to talk to you today. How has my role changed over the course of the pandemic? Well, I guess when the pandemic started pretty much like everybody else up, I've, I've got to be honest, when, when I first heard about it, I was in Indonesia with some colleagues on a, on a site visit. And lots of people were saying, are you still going to go? There was no indication either from our business or from any of the governments involved to say that we shouldn't go. But pretty soon when we were at the airports, we could tell there were people who were a bit more nervous than perhaps they would normally be. Nobody felt that we were under any threat or there was any specific danger. Whilst we were there, we started to get some emails that said, look, here's some trends that we're seeing across the world. Here are some things that we perhaps ought to start thinking to do, we should do differently. And I have to say, DHL was very, very quick to respond with task force set up very, very quickly to understand how our customers were feeling, what the impact of supply chain was likely to be, um, how these things were likely to pan out right across the world. And because we're global, we could almost see it moving our experience in one area oh, of the world. So, so even before you're dealing with marketing, you're just talking about this is early days of the pandemic. You're just yeah. listening, right? You're just yeah. listening, trying to figure out the nature of, of, of the problem. So that was happening. How, how long did, did sort of that take to get a, get a grasp on this? Because I know a lot of people, you know, took, a, you know, very unclear about what was happening. If you go back to March, April, 2020. Well, not very long. I mean, I, I remember being a, a bit, being then at a conference in the UK and getting a call to say, you need to be on a task force call tonight. And that was it. We were in. That was midway through February. We were in. We were having task force calls. It started off twice weekly and then ended up being daily. And really, that's where the marketing kicked in. It started off as customer communication, far more than marketing. And this was about collecting inquiries that were coming through from customers, questions that were coming through either into our own operations or through our web channels or things that we were picking up through social media, uh, really collecting all of that. And was there anything surprising like uh, that, that surprised you, that shifted how you would start thinking about marketing coming up? Anything that you didn't expect that, that people were asking? 
I must admit, I was quite surprised at the tactical nature of those inquiries. People were saying, you know, how are we going to get our supplies? What business continuity plans do we have in place to make sure that our supplies are not at risk? And we quickly went to business continuity planning, but that's how it felt, right? It seemed to go from nothing to really, really serious. So we were in that BCP thing almost straight away and different countries were in different phases of it. So as I say, we were kind of learning one country for the next and able to share that best practice based on experience that we'd had. From a marketing perspective, it was awesome really because we were able to see what happened in one country and apply that logic and that learning to the next so they could benefit from it. Okay, so so how was that reflected in marketing? Like what channels did that form? You, you have like some kind of insight coming from one country, you're doing work, it's informing other countries. You're trying to broadcast, what, what kind of channels were we talking about? Like what were the avenues? I mean, were you producing webinars and talks on this? Were you doing white papers on this? Were these just like articles and blog posts? Were you having email communications that were going out to your existing people? What were you, how was this spreading around the world? All of those things, to be honest, Ben, and, and it's, it's quite interesting. I suppose B2B is quite networky anyway. You know, we, we do like to do a bit of network. We do like to do a bit of dialogue rather than all broadcast communications. And I don't suppose we're any different to any other organization in that we do like to talk about our products. We do like to talk about how big we are. But this was one time where it was really important to listen and to respond to customer needs and to anticipate customer needs and to start to talk about customer needs and how we might be able to help them. So we actually launched a campaign that we called Let's Talk to give customers the opportunity and encourage them to talk to us, to come forward with their questions, either on our web page, through, through Twitter, through LinkedIn, and give them access both to information, to all of those things you've just talked about, you know, white papers, access to our experts to talk about the things that were bothering them, whether they're big strategic things about, you know, what is this going to mean to my warehousing capability in the future, right down to how do I make sure that my supply chain can deliver enough toilet rolls to, to meet customer demand? All of those things were, were open for grabs on through Let's Talk. What would you go back? What would you, what would you change? What, what was confusing that you didn't realize its importance and it was only later that you're like, okay, well, this is important and we've got a course correct. Were there any pivots along the way? Perhaps getting the balance around some, some customers were coming out of the pandemic while others were going in. And perhaps we weren't quick enough to respond within each individual region. I think I might look at that differently in the future and make sure we weren't holding some areas back as, as they were moving towards a more of a steady state, more of living with the pandemic rather than responding to it. I, I see. Well, and, and so you're, you're a global company. It's a whole other set of challenges when really you have a global crisis that is everywhere. How did you figure out where to sort of spend your time? Was it literally chasing the virus around the, uh, around the world as it spreads? Or was there some other way that you can kind of manage and prioritize this? Because I think it's rare for global marketers to be like, we're activating in every country, in every continent at exactly the same time with a great deal of urgency. That doesn't happen too often we've got a really interesting model. So we've got a central team that supports all our regions, but every region has their own local marketing team and local marketing experts. So we were trying to produce collateral information, share best practice globally, that we then send out to the regions and they execute in region, transcreate in region to make it very specific to their point in time and, and where they were in terms of their experience of the pandemic right here, right now. So, so you're making templates that are for global and then you're empowering regions to like adjust those sorts of, of, of templates. And, and are you, you know, on this big an issue, are you controlling, are you approving everything that they do or do they have some autonomy? Absolutely for- not. 
Absolutely not. We basically put a framework in place and, and our mantra is as long as what they do is on brand and on strategy and on policy, they can pretty much do what they want to meet their plan and be on plan. So it's almost a franchise model where, you know, DHL, obviously we have our brand guidelines, but within reason, do what you want to transcreate that in your region to give that message in a very personal way to your market at that time. I see. Okay. Well, moving out from like the specifics of just dealing with the pandemic, I mean, one of the things you've talked about is how treating customers well during this moment of crisis or listening to customers is a good strategy, not for the short term, right? I mean, the short term, you just got to you know, get through next Tuesday. But the long term is you want to build deeper relationships, build more trusting relationships, certainly going through a, a difficult experience is a way to get closer together. How, how does that sort of as a marketing strategy set you up for a longer term view, you know, when the, the pandemic hopefully is a, is, is a distant memory? That's a really great question. And I think, you know, as an organization, we absolutely believe in trying as hard as we can to be customer centric and and genuinely believing that if we give great customer service, customers will want to stay with us longer and probably buy more from us. I read a bit of research the other day, actually. I think it was from SAS Analytics, and it was talking about the fact that there was a customer survey that said 61% of customers would be prepared to pay more to customers who treated to businesses who treated them well during the pandemic. And I thought that was quite an interesting statistic. We certainly saw a rise in customer satisfaction during the pandemic. From a marketing perspective, we saw more engagement with customers during the pandemic. We did just over double the amount of engagements with customers. And 34% of that actually related to issues around COVID-19 and the impact of COVID-19 on their supply chain. So it was definitely something that people were interested in. But it wasn't, as you say, it wasn't just, just tightly, tightly knitted to that. It was about how they might move forward with us in general. So I think, as you rightly say, when you've been in the trenches with someone, when, when you've struggled together, when you've worked through a problem together, you do automatically get a bit more affinity and it does build that deeper relationship. And I think we'll, we will see that over time for sure. Where are we with supply chains now? What are you telling your, your customers now for what to expect, given that vaccines are rolling out? We don't know at what speed. There's variants forming all over the world. How do you think and what do you think will be the impact on supply chains worldwide moving forward? The problems that we're seeing from customers or the challenges that our customers are facing are around, you know, are there going to be increased costs for their supply chain management going forward? What's the impact of increased complexity Are any of the things that we've seen change, like the income of e-commerce, is that ever going to move back? How do you manage resilience? How do you measure resilience? And how do you ensure resilience for the future? So for me, one of the things that I'm starting to see is a far more long-term view of the supply chain rather than just, you know, I need to get this quickly and I need to get this now. It's less tactical than I feel perhaps it was perhaps even a year ago. I see. And so so people thinking what this has caused, and maybe let me, me sort of read between the lines here, is that let's not just focus on getting things from point A to point B, but let's strategically look at the whole process a little bit, because this causes us to revisit everything. This causes us to rethink Absolutely. everything. If we could, if we might face this in our future, if might there might be a new world order, we better be prepared. Sure, the pandemic highlighted new challenges and opportunities for businesses. But there are also some tried and true issues that always plague businesses of any scale, such as the silos that form between departments like marketing, sales, and customer success. 
I want to know more about how a big organization can break down these silos. What's the issue? What's the challenge? And, and, and what is bridge building between sort of silos often in, in a company? I think the first thing to remember is customers don't see us as departments. They see us as a brand. Customers buy from a brand. They buy from a business. They, they don't sit there and think, oh, well, listen, I've received this communication because marketing have sent it. And now I'm getting this communication because it's come from sales. And there is nothing worse than a consumer if you can feel that difference of departments within an organization that you're interacting with. So we try very hard not to do that. I think the days of that kind of funnel management with marketing at the beginning, and then you hand over to sales, then you might hand over to operations, and it might go back to sales if you're in a renewal situation. That Those days are gone. Um, we know that something like 78% of customers out of our own research are saying that they do research way before they meet a salesperson. 78% of them want to do that research. We know there are anything between four and 16 touch points in that research phase. And that's before they've met anybody from our sales team. So we know that marketing has to do that job to get them to the stage where they even want to make a decision about being in a relationship with us. And our guys in sales equally get that. We're very lucky again with our structure. Our structure really is quite forward looking where we have a growth engine. I sit in the CDO the development office of our business. Marketing sits there. There's a sales function there. There's a product development function there. There's a customer experience function there. And we all sit together and we try our hardest to think about the customer needs rather than the product sell. And we put that at the heart of what we're trying to do. If we can solve those problems, marketing can talk about it often through digital marketing. Sales can talk about it face-to-face. -face. We can measure that through customer experience and it helps us build great sector strategies. So, so and what's the example of that? Like, what is something where if you hadn't had this sort of customer-centric approach, you would have approached it one way, but because you're thinking of the customer, you, you approach it a totally different way, either in marketing or sales or something else. There's something that sort of like it, it, that you see has shifted by taking that approach? Look, we're as good as the next person at thinking about, we, we've got all this great stuff. How can we get it out the door and show it to customers? And often there, there are occasions where it's not what customers want to buy at all. And, and I mean, you know, not, not to drag us back to the pandemic, but, but in the pandemic, you know, people weren't interested in what we want to sell and what, what our most profitable service lines are. They literally wanted to know, you know, can I get some extra space because I've got all of these toilet rolls landing? So you really had to listen to the customer. And if our marketing was going out talking about, you know, whatever subject matter that we wanted to talk about that month or, or at that part of the year, and that didn't align with the conversation our customers are trying to have with sales, it, it's, it's just disingenuous, to be honest. And, and it wasn't about profiting at that time. It was about trying to deliver against the customer needs. Some of these guys really needed us to help them stay in business. I see. So this idea of, you know, very typical marketing playbook of like, let's have the editorial calendar for the year, right? Ah. And like, it, it, it's June. So June. Oh, is I find a pound for every time I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So you think one of the offshoots of, of what, what you were doing, but also even the pandemic is this need for more rapid response to what the issues are, to what customers care about, as opposed to being like a little bit you first rather than me first, right? It's you exactly. first, your agenda, your needs. And then if I support those, then I earn the right to, to sort of get my message or my, my agenda. I have business needs too, but you've got to do you first before me first. Whereas a lot of marketing is me first. What do we want to say? What are we releasing? What's the new Absolutely. product? All about the broadcast. Yeah. And, and look, I can think of one example where 
marketing, sales, our operations team, customer experience, literally all came together for a retail customer who was quite frankly in trouble because everything had gone online and they had no online presence whatsoever. And we stood them up an e-commerce presence in less than a week. Now that was doable. That was achievable. We did it. We helped them out. We, we all worked together and made it happen. If we did that outside of pandemic, you know, for sure that would have taken six months. You know, we'd, have, <laughs> we'd have written a project for it. They'd have approved it. We'd have put a commercial plan behind it. But that urgency that came with the pandemic really made things happen. And some of those silos between the departments that you talked about a minute ago, just didn't have time, just did not have time for that sort of silo mentality. No matter how good a marketing strategy you have or how centered on your customers you may be, you can't execute if you don't have the right talent. For workers in a field like logistics, however, the current talent pool might not be exactly what you envision for your future workforce. Well, and, and what is the role of, of, of sort of having the right talent, the right organization structure in place to be able to execute this, number one. And then number two, specifically you've emphasized on, uh, emphasized attracting female talent to a male dominated industry and the value of that and what that brings to a business. So as marketing leaders, we often, you know, we're, we're also just people managers. Talk about the people side of this and how you structure that and specifically sort of like, you know, female talent in, in male dominated certain industries uh, like, like the one you're in. Sure. Well, um, I mean, just to throw some stats out there, globally, there's 125 million working in logistics, 2% of female. So, so that focuses the mind, right? Um, now, it varies regionally. Um, in DHL, just over 34% of our workforce is female. That drops a bit in leadership roles. It's only 22% in leadership roles. And we've set ourselves a target of getting that to 30%. But we're very much committed to, to having a diverse workforce but making sure that we recruit people with the right skills into the right roles so that they can succeed and we can succeed. So we don't want to, you know, gender equality is one thing, but we don't want to bias it the wrong way any any more than we have to. So we can attract females into the workforce. We try to do that by, by leveling the playing field. So for example, in our recruitment, we try to remove gendered words. We probably won't talk about aggressive targets that work too hard on, on words like competitive edge in our adverts. We're transparent about there being flexible working or part-time working where a candidate might want that. We try to remove some of the barriers of entry to global roles by not talking so much about expectations of travel or international experience, because we want to attract talent from all walks of life, not just those who perhaps don't have families or who aren't committed to care, as females tend to be. And, 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 and do, you, do you feel then that the, the, the bottleneck is at the beginning, meaning you're talking a lot about the, 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 job, the job advertisement, right, where it's like someone just might not apply for that job because they see it or, or are there bottlenecks elsewhere or do, or do you focus on the bottleneck at the beginning just to get people into the field? We try and do it all. We have noticed there's a bottleneck at the beginning in logistics. We absolutely have noticed that. And it's something that we're looking at to try and understand it. I mean, is it about our adverts or is it something to do with, you know, when we get people in, is it about the interview stage? Do they just not like it when they get to work with us? Because let's face it, a lot of logistics operations aren't that glamorous. Now, let's be clear, the days of, you know, sheds and trucks are gone. It's, there's a bit more to it than that. There's a lot of analytics. There's a lot of science behind it. You don't always have to wear steel toe caps. Obviously, you do if you're on site. But it's, a, it's not quite 
as male focused as it used to be, there's a lot more thought around it. There's a lot more science around it. There's a lot more innovation around it. But we really do want to understand what those barriers are to entry. For people listening that are, we have have lots of different listeners who are, you know, heads of marketing and CMOs, but we also have those who are aspiring marketers who are earlier on in their career. What, as someone who, who sources and finds and hires a lot of talent, what can that earlier stage person do? What separates them out? What is in, you know, I'm a economist by training. What, so is anything that has like high demand and, and, and low supply is valuable. And if people want to maximize their value, what are the things as a marketer, but specifically to a marketer in, in a field like logistics that they can do to separate themselves out? What do you look for? I look for creativity and I look for authenticity and you can smell it on a CV. You absolutely can. I've done that thing when I've applied for jobs, when I've looked to see what the, what the words are that are in the job ad and I've mirrored them on my application. And sometimes that works and sometimes that just comes off as inauthentic. I think if you can't be yourself in your application and in your interview, it's going to be very difficult to be yourself when you're in that role. Mm -hmm. So find a way to get excited about the role. Do your research, really understand how you can make a difference within that. We've done a lot of recruitment in the last year. Um, and we've got some really exciting young candidates that have joined us that have come from all walks of life. You know, we've, we've got one that's come from an agency background. Now, I came from an agency background to DHL and people have said to me, what are you doing? You're going from advertising to trucks and sheds. What are you playing at? It is one of the most. Well, it, it's my best job of my career easily. I love it. And part of what I love about it is the challenge of making something like trucks and sheds interesting. And I think if you could bring that to life, if you can bring a bit of passion out on your CV, however you choose to do it, then that really does, that really does stick out to a marketer. And, you know, from, from a sort of a branding perspective or a messaging perspective, if you're trying to make, as you described it, trucks and sheds, but there's a bit more to it now. And you're trying to make that, for lack of a better term, like kind of a, like sexy again, but that's actually yep. a trend from Silicon Valley where a lot of like like core, like industrial type industries, like the so-called boring industries are actually sexy. Again, they're getting a lot of funding. They're getting a lot of growth. They're getting a lot of support from private equity and venture capital. So that is a trend. How do you start to message about it in a sexier way? Given that, I I don't know how many times I've had our own clients, like, you know, B2B companies say, we're a B2B company, but we want you to market us like a B2C. We want to be a lifestyle. We want to do (laughs) this, right? How do you, that's a common thing. So how do you do that in a field like logistics? To a certain extent, we let our brand do the talking. So the purpose, our brand purpose is connecting people, improving lives. And to be honest, when I first read that, I thought, well, that's, that's a lofty statement for a logistics company. And then something like COVID happens, where there is no doubt that what we did during COVID was connect people and improve lives. There's a purpose that sits behind what we do that a lot of people naturally want to buy into and are very proud of. So we let our people do the talking. There's a lot of our people talk on social media about how proud they are to deliver. We allow our people to take part in in our adverts to talk about what they do. And they do that with great pride and great passion. And I think when when you can get that out, then, then it's infectious. In the end, to be a great marketer, you've got to differentiate yourself from the competition. To paraphrase legendary Harvard Business School professor Michael Porter, either you do what everyone else is doing, but spend less money doing it, or else you do something no one else can do. But then as marketers, we need to message this effectively 
so our audience can understand the value we create. Here's how DHL Supply Chain does it. At top, my, my agency, one of the things that, that we do is we do a lot of branding exercises and you, 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 know, you do stakeholder interviews and you kind of get at the core values and you kind of lock people in a room and do these you know, sessions where you kind of try to pull out what's the sort of the, the truth of the company. And then you do a lot of social media and mass media listening. So you, you do all of that. And one of the, I think, challenges for a lot of companies, I'm interested to get your take on logistics, is that you do all that, you're in a competitive industry, there's other competitors, and they do a similar process. And over time, you start sounding a little bit similar, right? You go through yeah. the same sorts of exercises. You're like, yeah, okay, we deliver things. Okay, we connect people. We do these things. And it starts to, to, to sort of sound the same. and lose paper. Yeah, so how do you approach that? You're in a competitive business. It's not DHL by itself. You got a lot of other people. And in fact, around the world, you probably have different competitors in different markets that are more important. How do you avoid sounding like everyone else so that your words don't have any more meaning? goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, to be honest, Ben. It, it's about understanding the customer needs. Our job is here to support our customers and to make sure that they can be successful in their fields of business. If you really understand what the customer need is, then we can deploy our people to connect those people and improve those lives. So having that clarity of purpose around what it is we're doing for the customer here is essential. Um, and it starts at the top, you know, to, from, our, from our corporate CEO to our business CEO in, in supply chain, these guys really believe it. Um, and they live our brand every day of the week. They're connected to what they do. They're operations specialists. They get their hands dirty. They can talk operations. They're really authentic. Authenticity is absolutely essential in our business. What do you mean by that authenticity? Because like, you know, I, I can imagine someone hearing this and saying like, okay, I've got to be more authentic. Like, what can I do to be more authentic? How is authentic is supposed to sort of come innately from it? You've talked about it as something that you can smell a mile away. How, how does one sort of embrace their authenticity as a marketer or just as, as, as a person in a large corporate entity? Connecting what you're doing to a customer need is, is one thing and really believing that you're adding value. You know, there are so many companies where I've worked in companies where I know that what I'm doing on a daily basis is making rich people richer. That's, of course, look, we're a business, we're here to make money, but we're actually also here to add value to customer lives. And I truly believe that's the case. I truly believe that my leaders believe that. You know, we're a good organization and that's at the heart of what we do. To kind of wrap up, one of the things that, that um, we sometimes think about and talk about is this notion of connecting pain points to what we call defining moments. And a pain point is something that you've talked about, which is like understanding customer need and, and, and then isolating a real pain point they have. There was a lot of very specific pain points for COVID, of course. Sure. And a defining moment uh, in, in, in our definition is that moment where your brand has the highest perceived value, where, you, where your customer's like, oh my gosh, you know, Lou, if you weren't there, you know, I don't know what we would do. It's, like, it, it's, it's such a clear delivery of value that, that it becomes a rallying cry that you can rally around. Like it, it, you're not just moving things around, but you're like this defining moment. This is what you're about. So are there any defining moments that come out, whether it's COVID or whether it's otherwise, that strikes you as this moment where your brand value was at its highest, was at its peak? I, 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 look, I think COVID is the most obvious example right now because so many businesses were stuck and just didn't know how to move forward and knew that if they didn't move forward, they had to move back. And they relied on our people who often know as much about their business as they do themselves 
to to move things forward. So, you know, the example I gave you a moment ago where, around where we help that retail customer move it to an online situation. There are lots of examples like that. Lots of examples where, you know, we had to call people in to double the amount of groceries that were being called out of supermarket warehouses in the UK or put together care packages in APAC, literally on a line, stuffing, stuffing boxes to get to people who otherwise wouldn't be getting food deliveries. And there are so many examples on social media of where our customers have said, you know, this was a true partnership. This is where we came together for the greater good and it worked out. You know, that's where that passion comes in. That's where that pride comes in. So many of our people put themselves on the front line every day of the week to make sure that we deliver that way for our customers so they can deliver for theirs. Well, well said. And how does your background, I mean, you came from like advertising agency world into this. How, how does that, you weren't someone that was like career in logistics. How does that sort of inform you now? And, and, and should people be more considering of, jumping between maybe different career tracks or channels or at least industries and and not being afraid to make that leap? How how does that background experience sort of uh, help you today? Do you know what, Ben? Nobody's more surprised than me that I've ended up working for DHL. It was a fallback application. I was applying for three jobs at the time. And this one was, you know, I thought they'll have a really robust recruitment process. I'll go through the process. And this is the one I wanted. And it was for a number of reasons. One, one of the guys that interviewed me was quite inspirational and has such a deep rooted belief in what he does that I wanted to be part of that. It was infectious. One is the, is the marketing, the fact that I mean, we've got an awesome tech stack and ecosystem. I'll be really honest about it. And I thought, oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind playing with some of that. Everybody I met has that passion about something that I didn't really understand. And I thought, God, if you can be passionate about trucks and sheds there's something quite special going on here and there is you know I've been here it'll be three years three years tomorrow I joined DHL and I'd love it it is the best job of my career I could not be more passionate about it if you cut me I bleed yellow and red it's been a delight to chat with you uh Lou Barber uh thank you thank you so much and and thank you for your 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 passion about logistics and sort of customer driven marketing I really appreciate it and it's been a pleasure to have you on top CML Thanks, Ben. It's been great talking to you.